1972, Joey Gallo killed in Little Italy during dinner at Umberto's Clam House. They get there by violence, and often as not, they leave by violence. Between three and five million dollars in cash and valuables was taken from the Lufthansa cargo terminal out at Kennedy Airport. I can give you guys a half a million dollars a year without a problem. New York City is a war zone for mobsters and their targets. Hello everyone and welcome to The Black Hand, an organized crime history podcast. I'm your host, Bliss Grieve, and today on episode 30, we're going to be talking about the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, one of the most infamous biker gangs to ever exist. Because although they started out as a group of somewhat harmless motorcycle enthusiasts, it didn't take long for them to fall into the world of drugs, money, and murder. But without further ado, let's get right into the episode. The early history of the Hells Angels MC is shrouded in mystery. Some claim that the club was formed in 1948 by a man named Otto Friedli, but that's likely untrue as he himself has denied that claim, stating that he was instead invited to a club meeting by the partner of a former girlfriend of his. What we do know, however, is that the club's first chapter was founded in the Fontana-San Bernardino area of California sometime between 1948 in 1950. And although we can't be sure who exactly founded the club's first chapter, we do know where the club itself got its origin. Because while the mainstream media gave the club a creation myth involving drunken misfit airmen who flew bomber missions in World War II and struggled to adapt to life after the war, the real story is much simpler. The fake story starts with the World War II Army Air Forces unit in Europe known as the 303rd Bombardment Group. The 303rd wasn't a misfit group as popular lore has implied, but rather one of the highest performers in the entire war. In its official history, the MC tells the story of the B-17 bomber, the 303rd named Hell's Angels, as well as its commander, Captain Earl E. Baldwin. The unit named their B-17 Hell's Angels after the 1930 movie by famed aviator Howard Hughes, and the plane was the 8th Air Force B-17 to complete 25 combat missions in Europe. It even participated in one of the first strikes on Berlin in 1944, with two of the plane's crewmen earning the Medal of Honor while another four earned the Distinguished Service Cross. Fifty years later, the entire unit would vote to change its name to the Hells Angels, and that moniker is the only common thread between the bikers and the airmen of the 303rd. The name Hells Angels, at least in relation to the MC, really comes from a World War II veteran from the American volunteer group better known as the Flying Tigers named Arvid Olsen. He was a close friend of some of the Hells Angels MC's founders, but never tried to become a member himself, despite that he passed along the idea for the name to some of the founders, and it stuck. The Flying Tigers were an all-volunteer group of American airmen and maintainers from the United States Marine Corps, Air Force, and Navy in service for the Chinese Air Force who fought the Japanese Imperial Forces in China, preparing for combat even before the U.S. entered World War II. And the unit's third pursuit squadron, comprised entirely of Marine Corps aviators, called themselves the Hells Angels. They first saw combat against Japan days after the attack on Pearl Harbor, and over the life of the unit, the Flying Tigers would down almost 300 Japanese aircraft in combat between December 30, 1941 and July 4, 1942. The Hells Angels MC's copyrighted Deathhead logo can even be traced back to two U.S. Army Air Force patches from the 85th Fighter Squadron and the 552nd Medium Bomber Squadron. But now that we've cleared up the confusion regarding the origin of their name and prominent logos, we can talk more about their early history. Because following the establishment of the group's first charter in the Fontana-San Bernardino area, various autonomous Hells Angels chapters were formed throughout California in the 1950s following the club's foundation by nomadic members who moved from one city to another. 
Most of these new charters springing up were self-sustaining and independent. They didn't even know that any other similar groups existed. The San Francisco chapter was founded by former members of the Market Street Commandos MC in 1954. A North Sacramento chapter was established in 1956, followed by another chapter in Sacramento the following year, which was formed by two brothers named James and Pat Miles, who were former members of the Hell Bent for Glory MC. However, the Sacramento charter was later disbanded and relocated to Richmond as a Nomads chapter in 1965. But it was in the mid to late 50s that the Angels took a turn and started showing some real struggle and this was greatly due to one of their most notable members, a man by the name of Sonny Barger, who really became the thread that tied together the early Hells Angels chapters in California. Ralph Hubert Barger Jr. was born in Modesto, California on October 8, 1938, growing up in Oakland in the post-war era, during which time the city's shipbuilding and automobile industries went into decline, leading to a significant rise in unemployment. Growing up, Barger was suspended from school several times for assaulting teachers and fighting other students, leading him to drop out in the 10th grade. And although many of his former school friends became drug addicts, Barger worked at a grocery store and enlisted in the U.S. Army at the age of 16 in 1955. However, he was honorably discharged 14 months later when it was discovered that he had forged his birth certificate in order to enlist. And after his return from the Army, Barger drifted between menial jobs and lived with his father in a single residence at a hotel, later moving in with his sister and her children. Then in 1956, Barger joined his first motorcycle club, the Oakland Panthers, which he founded with a group of fellow military veterans. But after that club disbanded, he started riding with another group of bikers, one of whom, named Don Reeves, wore a patch that belonged to a defunct Nomads chapter of the Hells Angels in North Sacramento. So before long, Barger and Reeves decided to establish their own Hells Angels chapter in Oakland on April 1st, 1957. At which point, each member began wearing the MC's patch, a small skull wearing an aviator cap set within a set of wings, later copyrighted as the Hells Angels Death Head logo, after Barger had the replicas made at a trophy store in Hayward. He and the Oakland Hells Angels were initially unaware that there were several other loosely affiliated clubs using the same name throughout California. According to George Weathern, who became the chapter vice president in 1960, the founding members of the Oakland Hells Angels were, quote, basically blue-collar or unskilled workers looking for excitement. Unlike the World War II veterans who formed the early Hells Angels chapters, many of the founding members of the Oakland chapter were former servicemen with disreputable military records. And after a chance encounter with a member of a pre-existing Hells Angels chapter, Barger learned about some of the club's history, rules, and regulations, as well as procedures. He was then appointed the president of the Oakland chapter in 1958 following a series of meetings with Hells Angels from Southern California. And with Barger as president, the Oakland Hells Angels began traveling around California and mingled with other chapters, dividing up territory and forming club bylaws. While infighting did take place between the chapters, conflicts predominantly arose with other clubs such as the Gypsy Jokers. But when Otto Friedley, who by this point was president of the Hells Angels San Bernardino chapter and national president of the group as a whole, was imprisoned on robbery charges in 1958, Barger was proclaimed the group's new de facto national president. And one of his first actions was to relocate the club's mother chapter, the national headquarters from San Bernardino to Oakland. Although the basic organization was in place when Barger took over the leadership of the club, he introduced additional rules pertaining to new members, club officers, and the establishment of new chapters. Which makes this the perfect time to talk about some of the biggest rules that the Hells Angels as an organization observe, so let's start with their notorious membership process. To become a Hells Angels member, you not only need to have a driver's license and a bike, but it also must be a Harley Davidson. The club also doesn't accept sex offenders, non-white bikers, or those who have applied to be police officers or prison guards. After a lengthy phased process, a prospective member is deemed first a hangaround, which means he's invited to some club events or to meet club members at known gathering places. And if the hangaround is interested, he may be asked to become an associate, a status that usually lasts a year or two. At the end of that stage, he is reclassified as a prospect and allowed to participate in some club activities, but won't receive voting privileges while he is evaluated for suitability as full members. 
The last phase and highest membership status is becoming a full patch member. The term full patch refers to the complete four-piece insignia including the Death Head logo, two rockers including the Hells Angels writing and the territory claimed by their charter, as well as a rectangular MC patch below the wing of the Death's Head. To become a full member, a prospect must be unanimously confirmed by the rest of the full club members. Before votes are cast, a prospect usually travels to every charter in the sponsoring charter's jurisdiction and introduces himself to every full patch member, which allows each voting member to become familiar with the prospect and ask any questions of concern before voting. Some form of formal introduction follows wherein the prospect affirms his loyalty to the club and its members. The final logo patch is then awarded at the initiation ceremony, but even after a member is patched in, the patches remain the property of the Hells Angels, not the member himself, so upon leaving or being rejected from the MC, a member must return his patches to the club. Now onto the actual organizational structure of the group. Each Hells Angels chapter is governed by an officer corps consisting of a president, vice president, secretary, slash treasurer, sergeant at arms, and road captain. And each chapter is granted autonomy regarding member discipline and minor policy changes. Nowadays, however, in contrast to other prominent motorcycle clubs in the United States, the Hells Angels is not headed by a national or international president. It is instead governed by regional officers who are chosen to represent a collective of localized chapters at a monthly regional meeting. Even though the MC has no official mother chapter, the Oakland Charter has traditionally been able to maintain a pertinent position as quote-unquote first among equals because it has the largest membership of any charter in the U.S. as well as because Sonny Barger's esteem among club members. The Oakland Chapter is responsible for making major decisions within the club and granting the formation of new charters. Any MC seeking to join the Hells Angels must apply to the Oakland Chapter for membership and the applicant club must be monitored and approved by the Oakland Hells Angels before being granted membership. With all that out of the way, we can get back to the group's history because a lot of things were going to change for the MC during the 1960s. For one, under Sonny Barger, membership in the MC grew rapidly in the early 1960s, and as a result, the first chapter to open outside of California was established in Auckland, New Zealand in 1961. But more than that, by 1960, the Oakland Tells Angels had established an extensive narcotics network within the club, the MC's first reported leave from petty crime to have more heavy offenses. Despite this, Barger convened a meeting of various leaders in the Hells Angels and other California motorcycle clubs in 1960, during which the various clubs parlayed over the mutual problem of police harassment. During the meeting, the clubs also voted to ally under a one percenter patch to be worn on their prospective patches. The term refers to a comment allegedly made by the American Motorcyclist Association that 99% of bikers were law-abiding citizens, implying that the last one percent were outlaws. In the 1960s, the Hells Angels were heavily involved with the counterculture movement, particularly in California. They fit right in with the need to challenge authority, embrace individualism, and promote social change. They were widely known in the famous Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco and often attended local concerts and social gatherings. However, despite the good times, the arrests that used to be few and far between started popping up more and more frequently. To start on January 29, 1963, the Hells Angels Oakland headquarters was raided by police and seven club members were charged with the alleged sexual assault of a 29-year-old woman which took place two days earlier. Other charges included Hitlerism, possession of marijuana and theft, a swastika flag, and a picture of Hitler were also found on the premises. Then on December 5, 1964, 48 Hells Angels members and their girlfriends were arrested at their clubhouse on San Francisco's Folsom Street on charges of robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, possession of marijuana, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and aiding suspected felons. The raid also pertained to a robbery in the nearby alley of a man who was allegedly knocked unconscious and robbed of his wallet. The violence was only escalated the following year, and in September 1965, a group of Hells Angels were charged in connection with a fight that broke out during a birthday celebration at a cafe in San Francisco. The violence allegedly erupted when the bikers attacked two police officers who arrived at the establishment, which is the first recorded instance of Hells Angels attacking police. Then on October 16, 1965, 16 Hells Angels members attacked anti-Vietnam War demonstrators at a Vietnam Day Committee protest march in Berkeley, resulting in six Hells Angels being arrested and one police officer suffering a broken leg. 
The incident led to a collection of students, left-wing political groups, and labor unions led by Allen Ginsberg and Jerry Rubin meeting with a group of motorcycle club representatives led by the president of the Sacramento Hells Angels chapter in the cafeteria at San Jose State College seeking assurance that a planned protest march in Oakland on November 20th would go undisturbed. But it was in 1967 that the MC began feeling less like a biker club and more like an organized crime syndicate because even though the Hells Angels as a whole had minor involvement in drug trafficking thus far, according to the DEA, the MC began large-scale drug distribution during mid-1967 and soon became the leading manufacturer and distributor of LSD in California. And as a result, around that time, they became involved in a drug war with the Gypsy Jokers MC in the San Francisco Bay Area. However, the clubs reached an agreement later that year where the Jokers left California for Oregon where the Angels agreed to stay put. More than that, for at least five years, Beginning in 1967, the Oakland chapter of the Hells Angels turned over weapons acquired on the black market or locations of weapons which would otherwise be used by the Black Panther Party to the Oakland Police Department in exchange for the release of jailed Hells Angels members. OPD Sergeant Edward Hillard testified in 1972 that he accepted guns, dynamite, and grenades from the club's president, Sonny Barger, in return for deals on arrest during at least 15 separate meetings. Hilliard also testified that Barger had offered to, quote, deliver the bagged body of a leftist for every angel released from jail. He denied, however, that authorities permitted crimes committed by the Hells Angels. Then on February 16, 1967, a Hells Angels member named Charles Forsyth was arrested for possession of marijuana, and the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department was subsequently granted a warrant to search the Gray Ranch in Alto Loma, which served as the headquarters of the club San Bernardino chapter. And two days later, 13 Hells Angels members, including San Bernardino chapter president Otto Friedley, as well as eight women, were arrested on drug and weapons possession possessions charges when 27 officers of the Sheriff's Department's Vice Squad and Special Enforcement Unit and the Highway Patrol raided the ranch. But the charges would only get heavier, and on August 30th, 1968, 33 members of the Oakland Hells Angels chapter, including the club's president, Sonny Barger, and four of their girlfriends were arrested on drug charges after police raided a bar in a duplex apartment in the city. $7,000 worth of heroin and $2,500 worth of other narcotics were confiscated as were firearms including an M16 rifle, two shotguns, and a large cache of ammunition, knives, chains, and suspected stolen merchandise. The raids were the result of a three-week investigation. However, 1968 would also see the club commit their first internal murder of a Hells Angels member sanctioned by the MC, allegedly carried out when Paul Ingalls was forged to ingest a large quantity of barbiturates until he suffered a fatal overdose. Ingalls, a member of the Hells Angels Oakland chapter, who had previously transferred from the Omaha, Nebraska chapter, was found guilty of burglarizing Sonny Barger's valuable coin collection by a six-man kangaroo court at another member's home on February 1st, 1968, and was subsequently killed. Despite this, the club kept expanding in the late 1960s, and on July 30th, 1969, the first European charter was issued in London. Two charters were issued, one in London and one in East London, but according to the group's website, the two groups merged into a single club in 1973. However, with expansion comes rivalry, and even though they didn't know it yet, one of their biggest rivals, the Mongols, were formed in Montebello, California on December 5th, 1969. But 1968 would also be the same year that the Hells Angels leapt their way into pop culture infamy during the Altamont Free concert. During the Rolling Stones in 1969 tour, many felt that the ticket prices were far too high, so in an answer to the criticism, the Rolling Stones decided to end their tour with a free concert in San Francisco. The Altamont Raceway, east of California, was chosen as the venue for the event upon the suggestion of its then-owner, and because of certain security concerns surrounding the stage, members of the Hells Angels, led by Oakland Chapter President Sonny Barger, were asked to surround the stage to provide security. By some accounts, the Hells Angels were hired as security by the management of the Rolling Stones on the recommendation of the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane, who both had previously used the Angels for security at performance.
performances without incident. However, the story has been denied by several sources from both the Rolling Stones management and members of the MC. Sonny Barger states that the Angels weren't interested in policing the event and that organizers had told him that the MC would have to do little more than sit on the edge of the stage, drink beer, and make sure there weren't any murders. The first act on the stage gave a performance that generally went smoothly. However, over the course of the day, the mood of both the crowd and the Angels became progressively agitated and violent. The Angels had been drinking their free beer all day in front of the stage, and most were very drunk. The crowd had also become antagonistic and unpredictable, attacking each other, the Angels, and the other performers. Things only got worse when Denise Jukes, the lead singer of the local San Francisco rock band, the Ace of Cubs, who was six months pregnant at the time, was hit in the head by an empty beer bottle thrown from the crowd and suffered a skull fracture. The Angels then decided to arm themselves with sawed-off pool cues and motorcycle chains to drive the crowd further back from the stage. And after the crowd perhaps accidentally toppled one of the motorcycles belonging to a Hell's Angel, the MC became even more aggressive, including towards the performers. Marty Ballin of Jefferson Airplane jumped off the stage to try to sort out the problem, only to be punched in the head, knocked unconscious by an angel during the band's set. The Grateful Dead had been scheduled to play between Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young in the Rolling Stones, but after hearing about the Ballin incident, they refused to play and left the venue, citing the quickly deteriorating security situation. Rightfully so, because during Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's set, Stephen Stills was reported to be repeatedly stabbed in the leg by a quote, stoned-out Hells Angel with a sharpened bicycle spoke. And by the time the Rolling Stones took the stage in the early evening, the mood had taken a decidedly ugly turn as numerous fights had erupted between Angels and crowd members as well as within the crowd itself. The Rolling Stones waited until sundown to perform, and when they began their set, a tightly packed group of between four and 5,000 people were jammed to the very edge of the stage, and many attempted to climb onto it. Lead singer of the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, who had already been punched in the head by a concertgoer within seconds of emerging from his helicopter, was visibly intimidated by the unruly situation. During the third song, a fight erupted in the front of the crowd at the foot of the stage, prompting the Stones to pause their set while the Angels restored order. After a lengthy pause and another appeal for calm, the band restarted the song and continued their set with less incident. But eventually, some of the angels got into a scuffle with an 18-year-old concertgoer named Meredith Hunter when he attempted to get on stage with other fans. One of the angels grabbed Hunter's head, punched him, and chased him back into the crowd, but this didn't deter him and he returned even angrier. And following his initial scuffle with the angels, Hunter, as seen in concert footage, wearing a bright lime green suit, returned to the front of the crowd and drew a long-barreled 22 caliber revolver from inside his jacket. A Hell's Angel named Alan Pissarro, seeing Hunter drawing his revolver, drew a knife from his belt and charged Hunter from the side, pushing his pistol away with his left hand and stabbing Hunter twice with his right hand, killing him. Pissarro was arrested for murder but was acquitted when a video of Hunter and the gun came to light and proved that Pissarro had acted in self-defense. Despite this incident, however, the Hell's Angels were already on their way to making a big turn, the one into a full-fledged world of crime, with Barger later referring to the 1970s as a gangster era for the MC. With Barger later saying, quote, The other clubs tried to take our reputation from us. The blacks and Latinas didn't like us. White people were scared of us. Hippies no longer dug us. Rednecks couldn't stand us either. Everybody hated us. We became isolated. And on April 11, 1970, the Hells Angels Oakland chapter president and national leader Sonny Barger was arrested on narcotics charges after Donald Howarth, a film studio property manager, was apprehended while walking towards Barger's Oakland home with 17 ounces of cocaine and 30 ounces of heroin with an estimated retail value of $350,000 in a suitcase. Barger temporarily resigned as president of the Oakland chapter in June 1970 to fight the charges, but returned to the position after his successor, John Palomar, was sentenced to a 10-year prison term for shooting a bartender. The drug charges against Barger was later dismissed, although Howarth was convicted and sentenced to five years to life in prison. Palomar, while deputizing as president of the Oakland chapter on behalf of Barger, was charged with narcotics and weapons violations after a raid on his home by a police drug squad uncovered small quantities of drugs and a small arsenal of firearms in June 19 on June 25, 1970. The charges were later dismissed, but he was sentenced to 10 years in prison after being convicted of shooting a bartender on January 16, 1971. 
Then on March 7th, 1971, a brawl broke out at a motorcycle trade show in Cleveland between the Breed Gang from Ohio and another club that the police describe as the New York chapter of the Hells Angels. Five bikers were killed, including Jeffrey Coffey of the New York Club, and 57 members of the combined gangs were charged with murder, though many of the charges were later dropped or reduced. However, the club would only continue to gain even more of a violent reputation throughout the early 1970s. And on January 22, 1972, Sonny Barger and four other Hells Angels, including Russell Bea, Bobby England, Gary Popkin, and Bart Stephenson, were traveling through Redwood Regional Park in two cars, a Pontiac, and a Cadillac when they were pursued in a high-speed chase by park rangers who suspected the occupants of the vehicles of poaching. The Pontiac struck a tree after its tires were shot out by pursuing park rangers in England, and Stephenson fled into the brush only to be apprehended later. Discovered in the trunk of the Pontiac were three club prospects named William Hood, Russell Huddleston, and Danny Jarman. Hood and Jarman had been bound, gagged, and beaten while Huddleston had survived having his throat cut. So Barja, Bea, and Popkin were arrested after the Cadillac was chased for four miles by converging police. Various objects were thrown from the Cadillac during the pursuit, including four handguns, a shotgun, surgical gloves, and a belt with an ammunition pouch and a silver buckle with Barger's name engraved on it. Barger and the others were charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and assault with a deadly weapon while Hood and Jarman told police that the incident was merely initiation hazing. However, misclaims of the group's attorneys Jack Berman and Herman Mintz of insufficient evidence and an illegal search by arresting officers, all five defendants pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of unlawful imprisonment. But Barger just couldn't seem to stay out of trouble, and sometime in late 1972, Barger, along with Oakland Hills Angels members Sergi Walton, Donald Smith, and Gary Popkin were charged with the May 21, 1972 murder of Servio Winston Aguero. A drug dealer from McAllen, Texas, who had traveled to Oakland with a load of narcotics for sale, which allegedly occurred following a dispute over an $80,000 cocaine deal. A prosecution witness named Richard Avaldi testified that he witnessed Barger shoot a girl dead as he slept at the home of an absent acquaintance, and that Barger subsequently ordered the others to set fire to the residence. But Barger and his three co-defendants were acquitted on December 29, 1972, following a seven-week trial after Avaldi's credibility came under scrutiny. Barger was also provided with an alibi from his girlfriend who claimed she was in bed with him at the time of the murder. According to Barger's chief attorney, James Crew, Ovaldi himself was involved in the conspiracy to kill Aguero knowing he was a prime suspect and fearing retaliation from the quote Texas Mafia, he tried to shift the blame to the Hells Angels. However, the killing was just one of five possibly linked murders committed in the area around that time. Three men, drug dealers named Kelly Patrick Smith, Willard Thomas, and Gary Kemp, an acquaintance of Vivaldi, were found shot to death in a house near San Leonardo the day after Aguero's murder. And the body of a woman named Karen Long was discovered in the trunk of a car in Oakland on May 26 after an informant had led them to the location of the car. But the bodies of murder victims linked to the Hells Angels just continued to pop up and on November 1, 1972, three Hells Angels were arrested after the bodies of two prospects and a woman were found buried at a ranch owned by the MC near Ukiah, California. Back in September 1972, a Hells Angels member named William Pfeiffer, who was suffering from terminal throat cancer while incarcerated at Alameda County Jail in Oakland on various state and federal charges, offered police information on a Hells Angels burial ground in exchange for immunity from prosecution in order to spend the remainder of his life as a free man. The bodies were those of two former Hells Angels prospects named Charles Barker and Thomas Scholl and an unidentified woman. Baker and Scholl had been beaten and strangled to death by Pfeiffer and other members of the club's Richmond chapter after being spiked with LSD at a party on January 15, 1971, while the woman was killed by a gunshot to the head. Police also seized cocaine and stolen firearms at the ranch, so they arrested its owners George Weathern, the former vice president of the Oakland chapter, and his wife Helen. Four other Hells Angels named Edward Carter, Chester Green, William Mitten, and William Moran were arrested and charged with murder as well as accessory to murder. However, Weathern became a government witness and the charges against him and his wife were dropped. But while in protective custody on November 7, 1972, he attempted to blind himself by gouging pencils into his eyes before attempting to strangle his wife. And these arrests and bodies only served to add to the growing notion that the bikers were becoming large-scale organized crime operators. 
operators. Then on March 8, 1972, three Hells Angels members and one of their girlfriends were charged with the murder of Bradley Parkhurst, an Alameda longshoreman who was beaten and stomped to death in the basement of an Oakland home on February 24th. However, these wouldn't be the only notable arrests around this time because Sonny Barger was sentenced to 10 years to life in prison on March 16, 1973 after he was convicted of possession of narcotics for sale and possession of a weapon by a convicted felon. According to police intelligence reports, Barger had designated the San Jose chapter president, Fillmore Cross, as his successor to the position as the group's international president prior to his imprisonment. But even without Barger on the street, the MC continued to grow ever more violent on October 19, 1973, a Hells Angels member named Robert Bright was charged with criminal mayhem after he, aided by two other inmates, used a spoon heated on a hot plate to burn a tattoo, which resembled the Hells Angels insignia off his cellmate's arm at San Diego County Jail where he was awaiting trial on a narcotics charge. Then on November 6, 1973, two members of the San Diego Hells Angels chapter, including the chapter's president, Michael Varner, and his brother, John, were shot to death by an unidentified gunman. And even though police weren't able to establish a motive for the killings, in my opinion, it sounds like an internal power play. And if so, the infighting only got worse, as on November 1st, 1973, a drug dealer named Gail English and Vallejo Hells Angels chapter president John Henderson were killed, while another angel named Tom DeWild was left in critical condition as a result of a gun battle at English's Vallejo home. English was allegedly killed on the orders of senior San Francisco Bay Area Hells Angels member Kenneth Owen for intruding on Owen's f narcotics franchise. But tensions within the organization got even worse the following year. For example, Ted DeWild, who became president of Vallejo chapter following the death of John Henderson, was indicted on federal gun law violation charges in June 1973 after allegedly selling two dynamite bombs and a machine gun to an undercover federal agent. He initially pleaded guilty to the charge and was scheduled to be sentenced in May 1974, but Judge Philip Wilkins granted a motion by DeWild's lawyer allowing him to withdraw the guilty plea and demand a jury trial. But DeWild disappeared not long after, allegedly murdered and welded inside a 55-gallon drum and disposed of in the San Francisco Bay Area by his fellow Hells Angels, who became concerned that methamphetamine addiction and pending prison time may have caused him to cooperate with authorities. The next Vallejo Hells Angels chapter president, Dennis Meyer, was one of five men charged with various counts of rape and sex perversion in relation to a January 13, 1974 sexual assault reported by a 23-year-old Richmond woman. However, Meyer later disappeared and according to witnesses, he was killed by the Hells Angels who believed that he was cooperating with authorities. Then on June 16, 1974, an Oakland Hells Angels member named Ray Cavaver, who had been scheduled to testify for the prosecution in a Redwood City murder trial, was found shot to death in a ravine near Porta Costa. And on August 24th, the bodies of Hells Angels associate Alvin Prater and his wife Mary Ellen were discovered by the side of the road near Alameda County. They had each been fatally shot in the head two days earlier after being handcuffed and beaten. Even though it's believed that a senior member and enforcer of the Hells Angels Oakland chapter named James Brandis was responsible for the murders, he hung himself in prison, so the crimes remain officially unsolved. By this point, nobody was safe from the infighting, and in October 1976, Mark Robles, the sergeant-at-arms of the Hells Angels San Diego chapter, was fatally shot several times in the back before his body was discovered in his parked van in San Diego's Claremont neighborhood. Three former Angels told investigators that Robles was killed by a fellow club member named Douglas Schultz with approval from the Oakland Mother chapter during an internal dispute. By 1977, we see a lot of firsts for the club, including their first document planned attack on a law enforcement official, and on February 19, 1977, a San Jose Police Department sergeant named John Craggs survived an attempt on his life when a bomb detonated near his car. Cracked, who is in charge of all SJPD motorcycle gang investigations, had been involved in arresting numerous Hells Angels members, and he had testified against the club on several occasions. James Brandes, vice president and enforcer for the Oakland Hells Angels chapter, was charged with the attempted murder as well as other crimes as part of a racketeering case against the club in June 1979. However, the MC had bigger worries as they were about to be linked to a gruesome quadruple homicide. A woman named Marco Compton began working at a Hells Angels massage parlor in San Francisco where she was required to perform sex acts on patrons in early 1977 in order to 
pay off a debt for methamphetamine given to her on consignment by Otis Garrett, president of the Vallejo-based Hells Angels Nomads chapter. Compton contacted law enforcement after she was beaten and sexually assaulted by a patron, resulting in Garrett being indicted on federal morality charges. And in July 1977, Compton testified on behalf of the prosecution in a California state prosecution that she and four other women working in the parlor were being pimped by the Hells Angels and that the operation was under the protection of two San Francisco Police Department vice squad officers who were being bribed with cash and sexual favors. But sadly, after testifying, Compton fled to a cottage in Gaston, Oregon, where she, her six-year-old twin daughters, and the son of her boyfriend were shot dead with a 22 caliber handgun after being bound with rope on August 7th, 1977. And in 1991, Otis Garrett and a Hells Angels hangaround named Robert McClure were charged with the murders while imprisoned on separate narcotics charges after prison informants reported that McClure had bragged about committing the crime. And this led to both Garrett and McClure being sentenced to four consecutive life sentences in prison after being found guilty of the quadruple homicide. Over 40 witnesses, including former former Aryan Brotherhood Council member Michael Thompson testified during each of the trials held on Hillsborough, Oregon. According to prosecutors, Otis Garrett had ordered the killings of Compton and her daughters in retaliation for her testimony without the approval of the Hells Angels, while Gary Sessler was only killed because he happened to be present at the time of the murders. Thompson claimed that the Aryan Brotherhood had been approached by the Hells Angels leadership in California to carry out the murders, but turned down the contract because of their unwillingness to kill children. However, the Angels had bigger problems to deal with as around this time, one of their longest-running and fiercest rivalries was about to be set in stone. And at a meeting on July 7, 1977, the Hells Angels declared war on the Mongols MC after the rival club began wearing a bottom rocker denoting California as Mongols territory. The Mongols had previously denoted each individual chapter location on their colors and the Hells Angels considered their switch to state patches a threat to their territory. This conflict would result in the death of four Mongol members and an innocent 15-year-old boy starting when a Mongols member named Alan Bishop was shot off his motorcycle in Kern County on July 29, 1977. Then, two other members of the Mongols San Diego chapter named Raymond Smith and chapter president Emerson Morse were shot with an AR-15 assault rifle while riding their motorcycles on Interstate 15 near Escondido on September 5, 1977. One man died at the scene while the other died at Palomar Medical Center. The two biker spouses who were riding on the back of their motorcycles were wounded and Morse's wife Dolores was left paralyzed. Then, just four days after that attack, a van bomb was detonated at the funeral of Morrison Smith in Lemon Grove, injuring two Mongols members and the father of a member. And on September 24, 1977, Mongols members Henry Jimenez and Raymond Hernandez, as well as a 15-year-old brother of another biker, were killed in an explosion after Jimenez began working on a tire raid with a bomb at a motorcycle repair shop in Highland Park, Los Angeles. Just days later, things got even worse when the San Fernando Valley Mongols chapter president, Luis Gutierrez, survived a car bombing outside his home. However, the string of violence led to a crackdown by law enforcement on October 17, 1977, 32 members and associates of the San Diego Hells Angels were arrested on various charges, including the chapter president, Thomas Renzulli, who was charged with attempted murder. Fourteen of those arrested were patch-holding members of the San Diego chapter, and the arrest followed a 10-month investigation of the club, which involved infiltration by a police informant. But things weren't all bad for the club, and on November 3, 1977, the MC's former national and international president, Sonny Barger, was paroled after serving four and a half years of his 10-year sentence for drug and weapons charges. At which point he immediately resumed his standing as president of the Hells Angels Oakland chapter as well as president of the club as a whole. So with Barger being ever the revolutionary, it wasn't long before he shook things up and on December 5th, 1977, he allowed the Popeyes, a motorcycle gang based in Quebec, Canada, to patch over and create the Hells Angels Montreal chapter, the first chapter to be formed in Canada. And on the same day, Barger awarded the Canadian Hells Angels National President Yves Buteau the right to wear a Hells Angels jacket with the word international written on the bottom. A great honor within the world of Hells Angels where jackets normally list only the state in which the angel lives in. 
But their timing was an issue because in America, the Angels had been involved in a long-running dispute with a rival biker gang known as the Outlaws who had established themselves in Ontario months before and had begun to move him to Quebec. And as a result, from 1977 to 82, the Outlaws and the Hells Angels fought what came to be known as the First Biker War and the Angels won. And so as the Outlaws retreated into their Ontario stronghold, the Angels began consolidating their criminal activities and expanding, moving into the port cities of Halifax and Vancouver. And in the meantime, the Hells Angels were able to prove to the Irish and Italian crime organizations that having access to to a group whose very reason for existence was being on the road had its advantages. And the motorcycle gang was able to set up a network that extends from coast to coast, gradually establishing chapters in each province. However, the Hells Angels also turned deadly serious. Because while they had acquired a reputation for being wild, reckless, coke-snorting, loose cannons, its leadership realized they needed a more business-like approach if they were going to reach the next level on the criminal hierarchy ladder. But this wouldn't come into play until a little later. And in the meantime, possibly as a response to the arrest of 32 Hells Angels in late 1977, there would be several instances instances of attempted violence carried out against law enforcement officials by the Hells Angels in early 1978, with the seeds of the first instance being sowed the year prior. Because a Vallejo Hells Angels member named Kenneth Owen was charged with two felony counts after police discovered meth and prohibited firearms at his home in Solano County during a raid led by Solano County Sheriff's Office Detective William Zerby on June 21, 1977. Then on November 14, 1977, Oakland Hells Angels Vice President James Brandes was found to be in possession of a pound of meth which was hidden behind a threshold plate in a door of his Lincoln Continental. Then on January 30th, 1978, Zerby was seriously injured and deafened as a result of an explosive device that was detonated as he was entering a vehicle parked in front of his home in Vallejo. Then, not long after, two San Diego Hells Angels chapter prospects named Robert Johnson and William Peters were charged with conspiring to murder the San Diego County District Attorney Office Organized Crime Unit Investigator Raymond Morgan after being arrested while conducting surveillance of Morgan's residence on February 27th, 1978. Subsequently, an M3 submachine gun, 22 caliber pistol fitted with a silencer, ammunition for both weapons, rubber gloves, camouflage clothing, and a hand-drawn map to Morgan's home were found at Johnson's residence, and an electronic listening device with a parabolic microphone was found in Peter's residence after search warrants were issued. So Raymond Morgan, who had been assigned to investigate motorcycle gang activity in the area in 1975, retired from law enforcement and fled to California with his family due to intelligence reports that there was $50,000 bounty on his head. And it's believed that the San Diego Hells Angels chapter obtained permission from the group's Oakland mother chapter to carry out the attempted assassination. However, 1978, with the Hells Angels not only attempt to kill law enforcement officials, but also their own. To set the stage, three members of the Hells Angels Los Angeles chapter were arrested on January 6, 1978 in connection with the theft of 2,000 pounds of dynamite, which was stolen from a construction site in San Diego County in September 1977. Following the seizure, search warrants were served on the residences of all known members of the Los Angeles Hells Angels. And it was while serving a warrant at the home of Chapter President Ora Ray Glor that police found him dead with nine twenty-two caliber bullet wounds to the head. He was allegedly assassinated over a personal dispute with Russell Bea, a senior member of the Oakland Hells Angels. But before long, another conflict would arise, only this time it was with another club, because by 1978, the Hells Angels had chapters in Nebraska, Massachusetts, Ohio, New York, Connecticut, as well as North and South Carolina. But this caused friction between the Angels and another motorcycle club known as the Outlaws. The feud between the two clubs began in 1974, when outlaw bikers in South Florida murdered three members of the Hells Angels' low Massachusetts chapter as retribution for an outlaw being beaten by Hells Angels at a party in New York City. However, it was in November 1978 when the Angels declared war on the Outlaws during a summit on various charges in Rochester, New York. Also in 1978, Sonny Barger was arrested on parole violation charge of possession of firearms when police officers discovered a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, a 38 caliber revolver, and a rifle after arriving at his Oakland home on March 27, 1978 to serve a subpoena to conduct a parole search. But the case was dismissed when Barger's wife testified that the guns belonged to her and not her husband. 
However, the two wouldn't be able to dodge the next slew of charges that would come their way as Barger and his wife were among the 33 members and associates of the Hells Angels Oakland, San Francisco, Marin County, San Jose, Los Angeles, and Vallejo chapters on RICO charges on June 13, 1979. Barger and 15 others were arrested during a series of raids carried out in the Bay Area by around 200 DEA and ATF agents, and the indictments followed two car bombings targeting law enforcement officers in Northern California, which were blamed on the Hells Angels. The bombings prompted the California Department of Justice to issue a warning to police departments that the Angels were engaged in a campaign to eliminate law enforcement personnel who investigated their drug activities. The RICO case against the Hells Angels was the most substantial effort in federal history against the club at the time and charged the defendants with various crimes dating back to 1971, including manufacturing and distributing methamphetamine, conspiring to commit murder, assault, use of false identifications, intimidation, and bribery. Then on July 2, 1980, following an eight-month trial in which 194 witnesses testified, a mistrial was declared when a jury failed to reach a verdict on counts against 18 defendants. Of the remaining 12, nine were convicted and three, including Sonny and Sharon Barger, were acquitted. On August 12, 1980, the government returned a superseding RICO indictment which omitted the allegation that the Hells Angels MC itself constituted a continuing criminal enterprise against 14 defendants, including some of those in the original case. Eleven of those had already stood trial, however, the second RICO trial also ended in a mistrial in February 1981. And perhaps due to this heat from law enforcement, the Angels stayed quiet for a little bit, but this allowed their rivals, the Mongols MC, to seize control of Southern California, and it was likely this momentum that emboldened them to make a power move. And on January 17, 1982, the Hells Angels San Diego chapter, Sergeant at Arms Raymond Plitz, became the Angels' first casualty in the conflict when he was shot and killed in a biker bar in Lemon Grove. However, the Angels would take in another hit in 1983 when Sonny Barger was diagnosed with throat cancer, which caused him to temporarily hand over control of the club to his second-in-command, Michael O'Farrell, while he received and recovered from treatment. Despite this, the MC expanded even further, and on January 1, 1984, the first South American charter was issued in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. But the club continued to stay underground, and it wasn't until the mid-1980s that they began making the news again. However, when they did make the news again, it certainly made a splash, because things were about to get shaken up north of the border. And in March 1985, five members of the notoriously hard-partying Hells Angels Laval chapter in Canada were lured to a meeting in Lennoxville, a small town in Quebec's eastern townships, when murdered. Their bodies were then wrapped in sleeping bags, weighed down, and dumped in the St. Lawrence River. A sixth member was killed a couple weeks later. And this mass execution later became known as the Lennoxville Massacre, an event that would play a huge role in kickstarting a major conflict in Canada's criminal underworld that would claim countless bodies. However, before that could happen, the Angels would have to deal with legal troubles back home, and on May 2, 1985, numerous members and associates of the Hells Angels in Sacramento, San Diego, and the San Francisco Bay Area were arrested and charged with racketeering and drug trafficking as part of Operation Rough Rider, a three-year FBI investigation into the club. Six people were arrested, including San Francisco Chapter President Gary Kautzman, and 40 firearms were confiscated in the Bay Area. The operation involving approximately 1,000 law enforcement personnel resulted in the arrest of a total of 133 Hells Angels members and associates during around 50 raids in 11 states and the seizure of $2 million worth of cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamine, PCP, and LSD, as well as weapons including Uzi submachine guns and rocket launchers. Much of the intelligence that led to the indictments was provided by Kevin Bonner, an undercover FBI agent who infiltrated the club for 26 months and made drug deals with various chapters. Then, on November 10, 1987, 13 Hells Angels, including Sonny Barger and his second-in-command, Michael O'Farrell, were arrested on drug, weapons, explosives, and conspiracy charges during 26 raids carried out by 250 ATF, FBI, and California State Police personnel in the San Francisco Bay Area, which also resulted in the seizure of over 100 weapons, more than $1 million in cash and narcotics, and three meth labs. The raids were the culmination of the undercover organized crime drug enforcement task force's Operation Caucus. The operation in the Bay Area was executed in synchronization with raids on 
on various other Hells Angels chapters in four other states, producing a total of 38 arrests and concluding a three-year investigation of the club. As a result of the operation, Sonny Barger and Michael O'Farrell were both convicted of conspiracy on October 28, 1988, which resulted in Barger receiving nearly five years in prison, severely weakening the MC's leadership. But things would get even worse for the club on February 10, 1989, when the feud between the Hells Angels and the Mongols was reactivated when 50 to 100 members of the rival clubs clashed at a motorcycle trade show in Long Beach, resulting in the San Bernardino Hells Angels Chapter Sergeant-at-Arms Aristeo Carbajal being stabbed to death and several others wounded. Despite this, the Hells Angels were about to get wrapped up in an entirely different feud with another breed of criminal organization. And on June 6, 1989, the Oakland Hells Angels Chapter Vice President Michael O'Farrell was killed after being stabbed in the neck, chest, and back and shot four times from behind at a bar in San Leandro. Police stated that O'Farrell's killing may have been the result of a power struggle between the Hells Angels and the Aryan Brotherhood in the East Bay, which is likely as two Aryan Brotherhood members named Aaron Marsh and Michael Shepard were charged with O'Farrell's killing in the following weeks. Despite this feud, the Angels would continue to prove that they were a force in the narcotics business, and in late 1989 and early 1990, Otis Garrett, the president of the Hells Angels Vallejo-based Nomads chapter, and several of his associates were indicted on various narcotics and weapons charges. Garrett was additionally charged with running a continuing criminal enterprise, money laundering, and conspiracy to distribute 11 pounds of meth to the club's Winston-Salem, North Carolina chapter. Authorities believe the Hells Angels members and associates were operating a large-scale methamphetamine distribution ring with clandestine laboratories in San Bernardino, Butte, and Modoc counties. And Otis Garrett, who oversaw the what prosecutors described as the largest methamphetamine manufacturing and distribution case in the United States, made millions of dollars distributing thousands of kilos of the drug. Then, nine members and associates of the San Diego Hells Angels chapter were indicted on narcotic and weapons charges in December 1990. The Barkers allegedly manufactured and distributed methamphetamine between Hamul, Indio, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Following the string of arrests, the DEA, along with state and local law enforcement agencies, began investigating the Hells Angels San Jose and Grass Valley-based Nomads chapters as a result of intelligence suggesting that the Hells Angels were manufacturing and transporting methamphetamine to Savannah, Georgia. The San Jose Nomads chapter clubhouses were raided with the authorities seizing weapons, 80 pounds of ephedrine, 3 pounds of meth, and $230,000 in cash, while several club members and associates in California and Georgia were arrested. Despite these severe hits to the MC's narcotics operations, there would be some good news for the club, and on November 6, 1992, the group's national and international president, Sonny Barger, was released from prison in Arizona after serving three and a half years of a four-year sentence. But even with this good news, the conflict between the Angels and the Outlaws MC saw a resurgence following Barger's release from prison as a result of his long-standing rivalry with Outlaws President Harry Bowman. In an attempt to quell the increasing tensions between the clubs, Bowman twice hosted peace talks with Ventura Hells Angels Chapter President George Christie in Florida, firstly in December 1992 and again in May 1993. According to Christie, he and Bowman were working towards a peace treaty when the Outlaws leader withdrew from the negotiations. Christie believed Bowman was persuaded to abandon a treaty with the Hells Angels by one of his lieutenants named Kevin O'Neill, who thought agreeing to a ceasefire would make the outlaws appear weak. Bowman allegedly placed a $100,000 bounty on Barger's life when he made a speech to hundreds of his followers on December 31, 1993, announcing an escalation of hostilities against the Hells Angels. In the Hells Angels' November 1994 patch over the Hells Henchman biker gang in the Outlaws' home base at Chicago resulted in a number of shootings and bombings. But little did they know the Hells Angels were about to go through a conflict much worse than the one with the Outlaws as the Quebec biker war was hot on their trail. The club's second biker war in Canada began with the falling out of two friends. Maurice Boucher and Salvatore Cazetta were members of the same white supremacist motorcycle club known as the SS in eastern Montreal during the Lennoxville Massacre in 1985. At the time, the Hells Angels already knew about the SS and were apparently scouting the club with the idea of eventually absorbing them. But when word got out that Hells Angels murdered six of their own members, Cosetta was reportedly so angry at this supposed breach of the outlaw code that he founded his own motorcycle gang known as the Rock Machine the following year. 
Boucher, meanwhile, was recruited to join the Angels just as he was finishing up a three-year prison sentence. However, thanks to his street smarts and ruthless business approach, he quickly rose to the ranks, eventually becoming one of the most powerful criminals in the province based largely on his drug and loan sharking businesses. For a time, the Rock Machine and the Hells Angels coexisted until Cazetta was arrested on drug smuggling charges in 1994, so with the Rock Machine leaderless, the Angels made their move to take over street distribution and the two clubs went to war. It was a bloody affair and by 2002 it would claim nearly 160 lives, but again, the Angels came out on top and cemented their dominance over Canadian crime. Around this time, a violent feud also broke out in Denmark between the Hells Angels and other clubs including the Morticians MC and the Banditos, and before long the violence spread through Northern Europe and continued for nearly four years. However, the late 90s wouldn't end on a much better note and would really see the end of an era, and in October 1998, Sonny Barger transferred over from the Hells Angels Oakland Mother Chapter after being its president for 40 years and moved on to the newly formed Cave Creek Chapter in Arizona, largely retiring from any administrative position. That same year, Peace Talks opened to the end the long-standing war between the Angels and the Outlaws, which was largely because the conflict was bringing down too much police pressure on both clubs. Mel Chauncey, the president of the Hells Angels Chicago Chapter, who served as their lead negotiator, met with Barger in the spring of 1998 to discuss discuss the negotiating terms. The talks began on July 18, 1998 in the Copacabana Strip Club in the Illinois town of Alstip with Edward Anastas, the president of the Outlaws Milwaukee chapter, serving as their lead negotiator. Under the terms that Chauncey and Anastas struck, the status quo was preserved as the Hells Angels recognized Chicago as within the territory of the Outlaws in exchange for being allowed to keep their chapter in the Chicago suburbs. Their agreement also applied to Canada, with the Outlaws agreeing to provide zero assistance to the rock machine in return for peace with the Hells Angels in the United States. Barger attended the last negotiating session with the Allies between January 23rd and 25th, 1999 in Indianapolis, where in a joint press conference with Anastas, it was warned that any outlaw or Hells Angels that violated the peace agreement would be dealt with. However, ironically enough, as soon as they cleared up one feud, the Angels would get into an entirely new one. And on October 26, 2001, a fight between a small group of Hells Angels and the Vagos MC escalated into a mass brawl involving 80 participants at a motorcycle swap meet held at the Orange County Fairgrounds in Costa Mesa. Motorcycle parts such as handlebars and tailpipes were used as weapons in the fight, which ended when officers from four local police departments and the Orange County Sheriff's Department arrived at the scene about five minutes after the fighting began and bikers began to flee. Then about six months later, another feud was revived on April 27, 2002, when a brawl between Hells Angels and the Mongols broke out at a casino in Laughlin, Nevada. Three men, including one Mongol and two Angels, were killed in the fight over a territorial dispute that arose during an annual bike rally. Sixty to seventy people were armed with guns and knives, were involved in the already poor relationship with the Angels and the Mongols grew even worse. But they were about to get a lot worse as a Hells Angels member named Christian Tate was killed that same night when several gunshots fired from another vehicle struck him while he was riding his motorcycle on Interstate 40 near Ludlow returning to San Diego after attending the Laughlin River Run Motorcycle Rally. And although police surmised at the time of the Tate's death was connected to the brawl in Laughlin that day, the homicide has gone unsolved. However, things couldn't get much better for the club, and on June 11, 2003, 17 members and associates of the Hells Angels in San Diego County were arrested as a result of two-year investigation into drug trafficking and racketeering. Federal wiretaps also recorded club members planning to kill Mongols members in retaliation for the murder of Christian Tate. Six months later, a two-year ATF investigation into the Hells Angels resulted in the arrest of 26 club members in the San Fernando Valley, San Francisco, and Ventura County on December 3, 2003 on racketeering charges stemming from the River Run Riot. Nine Hells Angels, including the chapter president and three officers, were arrested in the San Fernando Valley and another 17 were taken into custody in Northern California. The arrests were carried out as part of a five-state operation involving over 700 federal, state, and municipal law enforcement officers, which resulted in the arrest of 57 Hells Angels across the country and the seizure of approximately 125 firearms, more than a thousand rounds of ammunition, several stolen vehicles, and a quarter pound of methamphetamine. Even though news surrounding the Hells Angels was quiet for a while, in 2011 their feud with the Vagos heated up as president of the 
Hells Angels San Jose chapter, Jeffrey Pettigrew was shot four times in the back on September 23, 2011 at a casino in Sparks, Nevada by members of the Vagos. Another Hells Angels member named Steve Towson, who acted as an enforcer for the Santa Cruz chapter, was also shot at Pettigrew's funeral. And although the Angels have stepped away from the limelight since the early 2000s, as long as they are active, they're going to be engaged in a feud with both the Mongols and the Vagos. On May 21, 2017, Mongols member Joshua Herbert exited a car driven by another identified man and opened fire with a revolver on a group of five Hells Angels members who were refueling their motorcycles at a Shell gas station in Riverside, killing Orange County Hells Angels' James Duty and wounding another. The incident followed a series of shootings and attempted murders between the clubs over the previous eight months in Orange and Los Angeles counties, and in recent years, the Hells Angels have gone back and forth with the Vagos in a series of tit-for-tat shootings. To start, Hells Angels member James Dixon was among five people arrested after a shooting at a 3rd Street Tavern in Highland on November 6, 2021, which left three people injured, including two of the suspects. Then on April 24, 2022, Dixon was killed and three others were wounded in a shooting at the Marquis Lounge in San Bernardino. And in an incident that law enforcement theorized was carried out in retaliation for Dixon's murder, six Vagos and one Hells Angel were injured when a group of angels opened fire on Vagos bikers on Route 95 in Henderson, Nevada on May 29, 2022. Even though the Hells Angels are pretty quiet nowadays, it doesn't mean they're not still out there as they continue to boast 467 total chapters in 59 countries across five continents. More than that, however, today, various law enforcement agencies classified the Hells Angels as one of the big four motorcycle gangs along with the Pagans, Outlaws, and Banditos, and contend that members continue to carry out widespread violent and organized crime including drug dealing, trafficking, and stolen goods, extortion, and prostitution operations. But that's really all I have for you guys today. I hope everybody thoroughly enjoyed today's episode and tunes back in next week for episode 31. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the podcast, it'd be great if you could follow, like, and share the podcast as well as the show's Instagram and Twitter pages at the Black Hand Pod. But with that said, I hope everyone has a great rest of their day. This is your host, Bliss Creeve, signing out.